Hello and welcome to episode six of the Fremont Podcast with Seth and Nervoretti. I'm Stephen Robles, and this is part two of the R. Kelly thing. I already forgot the title. Right. <laughs> That's <laughs> all right, it. brother. Surviving R. Kelly. Surviving R. Survivalist. Kelly. Yeah, Surviving <laughs> R. Kelly, part two. And then in the last episode, we talked about worldview morality. Yeah. And if you hadn't listened to that, we just kind of recap that quickly. You know, just as a quick reminder, we talked about what worldview was, you know, it's right. kind of your mental map of reality, the big questions. And then the fact that, you know, we want to look at anytime there's a cultural controversy or any, you know, big question in culture is what is the worldview behind it? And do the people that are saying things have the worldview resources to say those things? And if not, what would be a good approach? And we said how there's, you know, in the, in this particular case to come, many people are saying mute R. Kelly, come against him. And, and I think it's Christian's we might even agree, like, man, he needs to be muted. This is some awful stuff. But many of the people saying these things have moved away from Christianity and to, to secularism with a capital S. And what we're asking is, um, on what basis can they make these claims? It seems uh, to us that on, on, on a secularism with a capital S, there are no objective moral values and duties, period. So right. to say someone's doing something wrong is to say, you know, I don't like it or it doesn't fit my social convention, but you can't actually say that he's done anything wrong on that worldview. So the reason that that uh, really is important too, and I think we were just talking about this um, a minute ago, babe, that if we get rid of God and get rid of a moral law and a moral law giver, we're in a really tough spot as a culture. Right. Um, and the, and, what what we're left with is basically whatever the new trend is, whatever mm-hmm. we don't like, you know, what's going to be the new thing. And what if the mob rule turns against us? Like what if, um, you know, what if popular opinion is probably a better way to put it. What right. if that turns against us or somebody comes into power that has a different view about what they like or don't like right. or think is right or wrong. And you have, you no, have nothing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you probably just say you have no grounds to say this is objectively wrong. Right. And I like this uh, this tagline I've heard. I think there's a book called Relativism, and it talks about this, but it says it's like your feet are firmly planted in midair. Right. That's what it's like to claim these things are wrong without a worldview that has God. Does that make sense? So you're falling, you're falling, and you're just, you think you're firmly planted, but you're in, you're in a free fall. Right. And we look back to some of our heroes like Martin Luther King Jr. and right. how in the civil rights movement, he understood he had to, he was grounding his movement in an intellectual, uh, an ethical framework. So he right. would say, you know, basically, because we're all made in the image of God, right. that's why we should, should have equal rights. That's why you should respect and, and dignify everyone. That's why we should all be on this level playing field. Yeah. And he understood that, you know, as imperfect as it was applied by the founding fathers, obviously it was, you right. know, that deep sin of racism from the beginning, but the document itself being founded on that principle, he pointed back to it as a promissory note mm. and said, even in the, even in this, you know, constitution, it, it says it's self-evident that we are all created equal. And so that, that kind of twin, those twin pillars of the image of God and, um, in the, in the declaration, looking back and saying, you know, that was your promissory note. You need to cash in on that. Those were the things that intellectually funded the, the civil rights movement for Martin Luther King Jr. But what would happen in that case, if you had nothing transcendent to appeal to, at that point, all you have then is power, and we're going to have to fight, and, and there's no other way to say, to appeal to anything beyond right. human opinion or what people like. And that that is a major issue in our culture. What will be interesting, interesting as we go forward 
and saying, man, how are we going to settle new ethical issues as they come since we've increasingly pushed God out of our, of right. our consciousness and out of reality? And that reminds me of what Nietzsche said, when, when God is dead, anything follows, like, because right. it, basically nihilism, nihilism, however right. you say it, um, nothingness. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no objective moral values, and now we're just in a chaotic mm-hmm. space of fighting for power. And that, in a sense, collapses into postmodernism. Mm-hmm. And then you get basically what we're left with a lot of times now in the political realm, where it's just a power dynamic, mm-hmm. and you're trying to just use um, whatever you can, whatever method you can to gain power. And it, and it no longer becomes about appealing to a transcendent law, mm-hmm. transcendent ethic that we can agree on and say, right. no, this is grounded in the nature of God, the nature of man. So that's, that's the reason why it's good to think through these things, even with regard to these particular cultural issues. Um, so yeah, that's what we covered last time. Uh, if you didn't get to hear it, um, <laughs> yeah, go, go, back. go back. I would say go back and listen to it. Go back and listen yeah. to it. And we, we're going to put resources on there as well, because really we're just kind of wetting the appetite. Obviously right. in this short podcast, we can't give all the, the pros and cons arguments for what we're saying. We're just laying out the basics and trusting you to do the research. And that's what we want our audience to do is let's, let's, um, Let's be diligent in our studying to go and actually read whole books and not just listen to the news, not just get on social media, but we're going to pass you some of those resources. Yeah. Now, I want to get into a little bit more of the, uh, the particulars of this, uh, the, the documentary and, and how we're impacted by p- particular positions we have taken in our culture. And as I was thinking through this and listening, watching, watching the docuseries, I was thinking, you know... I think part of this is we, we, A, we don't have an, an objective framework to talk through this anymore, but B, we don't understand how um, the ways in which we've moved as a culture create an environment where the recipe is ripe for all kind of sexual dysfunction. Hmm. And it's sort of like once you let the fire out of the fireplace, it's really hard, especially in a dry, you know, a dry forest to keep it from just spreading. Hmm. That's like good. wildfire and or filling it up with all manner of kind of different ideologies and right things. right so it's like you know once once it's out how do you get it back in mm-hmm. and i think what steven said like you got all these people that think they're firmly planted in midair looking at their neighbor saying no you're bad no you're bad no right. you're bad no you know right. and so where like how do we even begin to to get our feet on the ground. And then how yeah. do we get healthy? Like wh- what, yeah. what is, where are we at in our culture? How do we get here? I think you yeah. asked this last time nerve is like, man, when did we get to this godless place mm. um, in our culture? And I think, you know, the roots getting cut off. You can go back to the, the so-called fundamentalist modernist controversy of the 1920s. And there's sort of a split there. And, um, but, but you could even see in the 1950s, there was still a, a semblance of the, um, uh, kind of a biblical framework in the background of culture right. by and large you had dissenters but a, but still the culture was mainly affected by a biblical view it, 60s is where a lot of people locate sort of this turnaround and mm. many of them talk about the sexual revolution mm. being a part of this overall kind of cultural throwing off the chains of the you know our our, our oppressive bible quoting grandma, you know, and, and being free to <laughs> yeah. really, you know, pursue happiness for real and not, not have mm. the chains of religion on our, our back. So, um, and hence making pleasure, the ultimate good 
Yeah. And the ultimate thing to strive yeah. for without asking the question, is there actually any purpose or meaning to any right. of it? Right. Which again, like Oscar Wilde, the author dedicated himself to a life of pleasure and dysfunction in sexual areas. And on his deathbed, he would say, you know, what was it all for? Mm. And there's little reflection on that part. Right. Amidst all this. No, I think you're right in the, so the, you know, you might even like as a parallel, think of our culture as, as an experiment in the same light of, as Oscar Wilde. Like as a culture, we've taken on that experiment really right. since the 60s. And, you know, I've tried to do a little bit of research on this in the last couple months. And one name that keeps popping up as I research is a guy named Alfred Kinsey. Mm. And I've, um, some people think of him as one of the architects, at least, of the so-called sexual revolution. And I think, uh, Stephen, you might have done a little more. You might have gathered some data on him. Anything yeah. interesting poke out about him as you look into <laughs> I want to thank you for uh, having me research this <laughs> Sorry, incredibly <laughs> troubled man, it seems like. <laughs> but uh, So he lived from 1894 to 1956. This is the early 1900s. And um, let me also take a side note. You know, before, when I was in school, like high school, college, I didn't like history. You know, I never liked learning about events of the past. And it wasn't until I traveled a little bit and started looking back into church history that you really learn a lot, especially where we are now from right. where we have come from. So anyway, uh, 1894 to 1956, Kinsey grew up in a, a Methodist home. His parents were Christians, but as he grew up, went to college and after, he really kind of founded the, I don't know what you call it, the study of sex and sexuality, like sexology. Okay. And so he was the one that wrote the books, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, and the accompanying book, Sexual Behavior in the Human Female. And he did a lot of quote-unquote research on things like orgasm and sexuality and homosexuality. And he himself, as is bisexual, said he would punish himself over these feelings when he was younger. Uh, he and his wife agreed they would have sex with other people. And this was a very just kind of flippant, well, to him it was research. But from yeah. the outsider perspective, it seems just like a flippant attitude towards sexuality. But that research went through you know, coworkers engaging in sexual activity and him researching it. He would videotape this stuff. And, uh, and then he wrote these books again, then about the orgasm and sexuality and the Kinsey scale, uh, which is a thing you may have heard of, but he founded the Kinsey scale, which is from zero to six, how a person might range from zero being completely heterosexual to six being completely homosexual. And he was saying that people can fall anywhere between those scales, but his research uh, was widespread. He was on the cover of Time magazine several times, and it just was a part of the culture. It just, you know, his research and findings uh, popularized it. And it, it again, a huge part of the sexual revolution. And another point in person, Hugh Hefner uh, in 1953 uh, founded Playboy. And so, kind of at the end of, of Kinsey's life and when his work was really becoming popularized, it led to things like Playboy and other parts of the sexual revolution. Interesting. So. Wow. Yeah, and I heard some things too, like kind of wild stories, like he would gather data and they, they say he didn't engage in it himself, but he collected all this data about like orgasms from like two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds. Yeah. Like even encouraged the people that were giving him the data to keep giving him the, you know, to keep experimenting right. and, and reporting this stuff. It was really wild. And also it came out later, like 30 years, 40 years after that, a lot of his research was falsified. Um, number one, he never included African-Americans in his research. And so that's a whole swath of population. He just didn't even bother to ask. But also uh, it was later revealed Kinsey used data from a single pedophile presented it as being from various sources 
Uh, he would say he did a, a large sweeping study and in reality it was only a few. And so even his findings were kind of exaggerated and even yeah. falsified in a lot of places. And so his- And a his, large swath of it turned out to be like prison inmates and sex offenders. Right. And, and during his research, he was citing that anonymity was important so people could be free to say what they wanted. And he kind of used, used that shield and so people couldn't, ask him, you know, who are these people? Right. But later came out like he, it was just not, not accurate per se. So, yeah. And, you know, unfortunately it, it, it kind of took root and, and funded like intellectually funded a lot of the arc of the other like movers and shakers for the sexual revolution. So they would, you know, sort of like you have a, a scholar who's impactful in a particular area and everybody looks to them and, and they refer back to that as a reliable source of data right. and they draw their conclusions on that data. And I think many people involved in the sexual revolution were saying that like, Oh no, he's done the research. It's thorough. It's reliable. Right. And you know, there's a lady named Heather McDonald that wrote a book called the burden of bad ideas hmm. and where she discusses what, you know, ideas man can can be more harmful. What's that movie where he said nothing more dangerous than planting an idea, Leo DiCaprio. Oh, Inception, 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 Inception. yeah, the spinning top. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's like, you know, I think when an idea gets implanted in a culture, man, it can have devastating consequences. And and I think part of the push of the sexual revolution, you know, and there was I'm sure there were some well-meaning people involved and and all that stuff. I, I wouldn't discount that. But part of the push was they felt like the Christian ethic, the Christian sexual ethic was repressive and it was harmful and it kept women down and it, you know, all these things. So I looked, you know, some of the, some of the central tenets of the movement, one was to separate um, sex from procreation and to make it more of just like a fun activity. You know, the birth control pill, I think came out around that time and uh, abortion laws were shortly uh, Roe v. Wade was was happening after that. shortly and after that. And some other bullet points was public nudity uh, became more sought after and accepted. Pornography, again, back to Hugh Hefner and Playboy. Um, alternative forms of sexua- sexuality and all that yes. was on the rise during this time. And then three more points here. Um, they said any objection to consensual casual sex was thought of as repressive prudery. <laughs> um <laughs> Marriage is whatever an individual or couples define it to be like they no longer wanted, you know, the, the traditional view. Uh, and then there are no fundamental differences between men and women and we shouldn't act as if there are. And one of the harmful things from that was like, they said, you know, men, they're just, you know, going around having sex with women. Well, women, you should do it too. And really, Mm -hmm. you know, the better thing would have been like men stop doing it, (laughs) you know, but, but they try and, and they didn't take into account, you know, they're, they're getting all this data back now that that just, it didn't work for anybody involved in so many ways. Right. But what it, one of the things that did is it over sexualized our culture to the degree where, you know, there's always been problems in this area. There's always going to be some in a fallen world. We're going to have problems with um, sexual purity Right. Um, no matter what culture you're in, but as a matter of degree, depending on what ideas your culture adopts, you can get way like increasingly more and more unhealthy. Yeah. And there, there's a couple of quotes. Um, this is more in regards to Hugh Hefner and, and Playboy, but I think applies to the movement as a whole, uh, writer for the independent, uh, Julie Bindel said that Hugh Hefner caused immeasurable damage by turning porn and therefore the buying and selling of women's bodies into a legitimate business. 
And then the Los Angeles Times, Robin Abkarian wrote that Hugh Hefner probably did more to the mainstream exploitation of women's bodies than any other figure in American history, adding that he managed to convince many women that taking off their clothes for men's pleasure was not just empowering, but a worthy goal in itself. And wow. So, yeah, that was the trying to stem the tide of, you know, the sexual revolution. And yeah, interesting. And, you know, the, the ironic part of it. Unfortunately, there were groups of feminists who were pro the sexual revolution back then. Like that was part of their connection. And now even some of them have turned against like the Hugh Hefner, you know, exploitation. So I think they've, some of them have seen the fruits of that didn't turn out to be the, this kind of liberty and freedom that they initially thought it would be uh, for women. And so, yeah, man, I think how, how that plays into this situation is when you create by and large a culture that is sexually unhealthy and dysfunctional, it becomes increasingly hard to keep that fire again from just spreading out. Like on all the way back to Alfred Kinsey, like he, for instance, I think would have looked to R. Kelly and basically said, yeah, that's good. You know, do that. He's doing his own research maybe. Yeah. Yeah. He probably would have got research from it. You know, he might not have liked the part where maybe he, you know, brainwashed the girls and to Stockholm syndrome. Maybe he would have, you know, I don't know, but but certainly the part about the age thing wouldn't have right. been anything, you know, to him. Yeah. And so I think, you know, him being a major proponent of this whole thing that has swept our culture. So yeah. now you have the, I think, similar ironies where people that have made a living off objectifying themselves and objectifying their sex, you know, and I'm thinking of, um, well, I won't say any names yet, but they're some of the main ones looking at R Kelly and saying you're right. wrong, you're terrible right. for doing this. And even, um, and I don't, you know, this isn't for the purpose of calling out, but, but I think pointing out the inconsistencies can be a good exercise to help us all think through how, because it's so easy as human beings to point at others and condemn. Right. Um, it, especially go ahead. Yeah. What you got? Yeah. You know, that's, that's a good thought to, to, to think about the inconsistencies because they are muting him. And so I wonder if now finally, after all the hit songs with the really rough lyrics, are they saying as well, these lyrics are bad or just his behavior <laughs> right. is bad. So I wonder, I'd love to hear more about their thought process concerning this whole situation. Well, let's mute his music. Is it because he's, which is great. I think it's a great idea yeah, because we, yeah. attention needs to be drawn. But, For sure. you know, the, a lot of you still have women out there or men who are supporting the music. And so um, while yeah, you're so. while. Yeah, you're asking them. Yes, you're right in that. While you're doing that, sure. <laughs> maybe mute some of these other <laughs> songs right. as well. Yeah. Uh, maybe mute your own because songs. Because there are some songs <laughs> out here that I'm like, are you kidding me? Is that what where we are today? Yeah. You know, I remember a quote in Alan Bloom's book. He said, you know, for men and women to even work together in an environment that's healthy, both sexes have to be modest in their mm, attitude yeah. and in their clothing. And so here we have an, an entire industry that is... You know, lyrically, not modest. You know, some mm. are, but it's like, okay, what are are we addressing the whole idea, songs included, or just his behavior? I'd love to know that. No, that's great. Man. I th- <clears throat> and uh, I'm reminded, too, what we're pointing out, Stephen talked last time about a worldview, the, the two, I think he got the two tests of correspondence and, and coherence. coherence. Yeah. 
And last time we talked about correspondence, like when you talk about morality, there's nothing it corresponds to out there if there's no God, because you're talking about something that's like a unicorn, right. you know? Right. Um, but then the, the test of coherence, does your claim cohere, is it logically consistent with your other positions in right. that worldview? And so just as an example, we went to a, we went to a Sade concert, right? A few years ago or whatever. And John Legend was opening up. And, you know, he comes out there and, you know, cool concert. I, I like his music. I followed, you know, followed a lot of it. Some of it's, again, falls in this category of um, sexually unhealthy. Right. But, um, you know, he gets up there, he sings. We look, his background singers look like they barely. I'm telling you, I was like, Seth, how you doing? You okay? <laughs> like, can you keep your eyes to the right side of the literally, stage? Literally, I had to like look away. It wow. was rough. The entire time. And, you know, I just, I, it made me think too, thinking about this. I was looking at some of his lyrics, um, just one of his songs. I, again, this is a mature audience, so if you got kids around, you might want to skip past, but I'm just going to read a little bit of his lyrics on the first album, which isn't even explicit, by the way. It doesn't even have the right. E. Right. But he's like, he's telling the girl, he's like, ooh, I promise not to do it again. I promise not to do it. You can't say I don't love you just because I cheat on you, because you can't see all I do. To keep you from knowing the things I do, like erase my phone. He's telling her like, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying, trying to, to help you. you. <laughs> I'm erasing my yeah. phone. I keep it out of town. That's what he says. And I keep it out of town. I keep it strapped up when I sleep around. Meaning he wears a condom when he sleeps around. Well, I should have known once one day you'd find out. But you can't go and leave me now. You know that I love you. There's no one above you. I said it the last time, but this is the last time. Don't make me over. Cause I can be faithful, baby. You're my number one. But he's saying basically, you know, you can't say I don't love you just because I cheat on you. Wow. And I bring up John Legend because he's one of the main guys um, that appeared on the documentary looking at R. Kelly saying this time, you know, his time is up. He's, mm. we need to mute this guy and he's doing awful. And it becomes increasingly hard to look to your neighbor with the plank in his eye when you got your own plank, you know? Right. And I feel like we live in a culture of just people walking around. You got to turn your head cause they all got planks in their eye. Every time they turn, you know, we're all, <laughs> but we're just looking at the size of the next man's like, okay, right. my, mine's only two feet long though. His is six feet. <laughs> and, um, that's part of the, I think the incoherence of once you don't have a solid sexual ethic, that's objective that we can look to as a standard that keeps the fire in the fireplace. Any, anytime you say this about the next guy, it becomes increasingly like, yeah, but why is it that, is it that much different from what you're supporting all the time? I also, I, I have conversations with people about, you know, when it comes to nudity and entertainment and there are a lot of shows, um, a lot of movies out there that claim to use nudity as a, as a form of art or as a form of storytelling. And I find that difficult to reconcile. You know, many times it's not, you know, I, I, can, I can think of exactly one example, uh, which is the movie Schindler's List, where there is nudity used in that movie, but it is not at all in a sexual way. And it's honestly portraying something so horrific that the nudity yeah. is to that end. But that is the only time that I've I've ever thought of nudity in, in an art form or whatever. And I think it just goes to, again, like the, it's like when you keep, you're inoculated to nudity as a thing that 
is either sacred or like we shouldn't expose ourselves to outside of spouses. And we just yeah. keep, get inoculated with it. And now it just becomes a norm. Yeah. Like the sexual abuse normalized a lot of things. So is nudity. So are these lyrics. Right. So is the idea of sex is just this flipping thing. And that's not cheating on you. Like it's, I'm doing it this, this way. Right. I'm doing it the right way. I'm cheating <laughs> right. on you the, the way it's supposed to be done. Right. And so don't think mm-hmm. of it as cheating. And it's like, ah, I don't, yeah, that's just, yeah. No, I think that, <laughs> What you got, babe? Yeah, you know, I remember listening to Ravi tell the story of, I forget the gentleman's name, but he had a, a magazine um, that made Playboy look very <laughs> safe. And so they're, PG, right? yeah, but they he was in court and had a very clever um, attorney. And the attorney asked the jury, like, have you, you guys ever gone to, paid money to go to a museum? And they're like, yeah, well, have you gone to a museum? Have you saw some nude statues there? And, the jury again was like, yeah. He said, well, how is that different from the art that I'm making? And then Ravi said, well, you know, the good response to that is let's look at the fruit and how many families have been destroyed from pornography versus just going to a museum. And we've right. lost the art of watching, you know, looking yeah, at man. something and using common sense. This is trash and produces yeah. devastation. And I think you're right. Common sense isn't so common these days. And because we've <laughs> right. been conditioned by our culture, yeah. um, that we hear lyrics like that, and you might not even think. You like know, when I first heard that song, I didn't. I was like, "Keep it." Right. I didn't even know what half those things meant. I mean, until you right, explain right. it, I, you got to exegete it, brother. You got to exegete it. But it used to be awkward to um, see sexuality just on a billboard and social yeah. media. But now it's like you you're just scrolling across and you see so much of it, and it's it's become the the awkward has become the norm. Yeah, man. And that's the the battle. And right. honestly, that was part of the sexual revolution was to to denormalize sex as as in, uh, in the context of marriage between one man and one woman right. and to basically normalize all these other functions. And that was our, that was our path to freedom and real fulfillment right. as human beings closely linked to hedonism. And so, you know, that would be the way we really, th- that would be the good life, the freedom quote unquote right. to experiment. But now let me, I'm just want to point out one more incoherence and um, I can't remember the name of the song. I was actually, we were in a, the other day somewhere and it popped on the news and Lady Gaga had now come out to condemn R. Kelly. Right. And it was showing, I guess she did a song with him a while back and I can't mm-hmm. remember the name of it. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you can Google it real quick, yeah, but yeah. I think it was called like you can have my body or something. Mm. And it was super, super explicit. Like they were showing this video on the news and I was like, yikes. Um, and now apparently she's come out to say, well, what he's doing is wrong. And I, you know, I was naive to, to do that video back then. The, uh, the title of the song is Do What You Want. Oh, Do What You Want. <laughs> so here's an incoherence. Mm. Now, I, I, if I was in conversation, I'd, I suspect that she would not disagree with that statement <clears throat> in the abstract. Now, she might if she's thinking this guy's going to catch me on this inconsistency. But nothing about her coming out against R. Kelly has said, well, I've ethically changed my position and I no longer think you should do what you Mm -hmm. want. And that also that if you're born that way, that that makes it okay to do whatever you're born to do. Because that was another one of her big pushes, if you remember. She had a song Mm -hmm. or album or whatever called Born This Way. Right. And part of it was to, it was the idea that, you know, people with these, you know, sexual desires and sexual activity they basically have a past because they were born that way. Mm. And again, here's incoherence in worldview because why is why on her view 
would R. Kelly not be born that way to do exactly what he's doing? And this, the, so I just looked up the lyrics to the song, and apparently the the resounding chorus is "Do what you want with my body." I mean, that's that's the lyric, right? Uh, and then it also goes on to say, "You can't have my heart, and you won't use my mind, but do what you want with my body." Mm. It's a separating of, again, I guess, like the cheating on you, but right, I'm not cheating on you. It's just I'm physically doing these right. things with other people, and so it's this weird. Trying to distinguish, like the yeah. body, I can be free to do whatever I want with my body. Interesting. Not giving you my heart and mind. Oh my gosh. As though it's separate and yeah. We have a book that someone uh, gifted us when we got married. Called you remember that book? It's called Sex, Romance, and to the Glory of God by C.J. Yeah. Mahaney. Yeah. One of the chapters says that no one should touch your body before touching your mind and heart first. Mm. Wow. In the context of covenant relationships, so so that's direct opposite yeah. <laughs> of a healthy sexual um, yeah, health and it's relationship. just a, it's a naive view of anthropology, naive view of human nature, and how the body works with the heart and soul. Also, on secularism, all you are is a body. So right. heart and soul is another use of uh. illusory language. <laughs> right, right. And so <clears throat> wow. here here's so many issues, so many incoherence. You know, so much yeah. incoherence in this that. You just you wonder if something else is driving it. You know this movement is popular, and so sometimes people are tempted to be fashionable, right? Um, by agreeing with the chorus of you know get the pitchfork. It's always it's something so human about we found a monster. Everybody get the pitchfork, right? And I agree. Like R. Kelly, if you know according to this documentary, man, he's doing some monstrous things, and he needs to be um, brought to justice for sure. But the idea that these people that are getting the pitchforks yesterday (laughs) were laying out a framework that that makes what he is doing not only welcome, but clap for him, and they haven't changed their position, they're just getting the pitchfork and crucifying him is a deep incoherence. Yeah. Yeah, and that's mentioned a little bit ago, but Lady Gaga was the one who did the meat dress to an award show, again, to try and make the statement that the women's body is not to be objectified, but then also to write a song like that. Do what you want. (laughs) And and one of the last lyrics is, do what you want, it will cleanse us. And that's one of the last Mm. lyrics of the song is, do what you want, and it will cleanse us or whatever. And, and that's like, basically huh? what Kenzie was saying. And so our, that's true. our Kelly could say, you know, basically I'm cleansing these young ladies and they want to stay. Many of them actually want to stay there. You know, we would say whatever psychological syndrome, but, um, is going on cause he's brainwashed them. But he would just say to that, I'm just applying what you all told me to do. Like, right, right. and that's why as Christians though, we do have a different framework and we can say, no, this is wrong because reality is not like they told you it was. Right. Um, there, there is a bridge there, even though the, <laughs> the Apple map says there's nothing right. there. And so um, I just want to read this little thing because this, this gives us what, by this point, we see, we see the lack of correspondence. We see the lack right. of coherence in our right. cultural viewpoint about ethics in general, sexual ethics in particular. Right. Um, we've critiqued that, but now we want to give a biblical perspective. What is a biblical perspective? Well, holy sexuality, this is from uh, Christopher Ewan. He says, holy sexuality consists of two paths, chastity and singleness and faithfulness in marriage. Chastity is more than simply abstention from extramarital sex. It conveys purity and holiness. Faithfulness is more than merely maintaining chastity and avoiding illicit sex. It conveys covenantal commitment. Hmm. So you have two paths. You have 
chastity and singleness and faithfulness in marriage between one man and one woman. Now that is a, that's a clear, coherent, consistent ethical framework that right. much of Western civilization, at least on paper agreed to. Hmm. If you undo that, you've got to replace it with something that's coherent, consistent, it hasn't been done yet. So now we're in anarchy and chaos with just everybody pointing at someone who's worse than them. Right. So my, my statement is we do need to address this issue. He, he needs to be brought to justice. These girls need to be freed. He needs help. He needs, you know, whatever goes along with all that. Um, but is I want to call non-believers to think more deeply about their worldview and Christians to right. think more deeply about their worldview and say, you know what, that grandma you got rid of, <laughs> she might've knew more than some of our university professors do these days in, right. in respect of, man, we need that, the worldview resources that the Judeo Christian ethic gave us. So we might, it might be time to, to take another look at that and see if it's actually true right. and can ground these intuitions we have that these things are wrong. And maybe you know, for many people, they wanted to throw off those shackles so they could have sexual freedom. Right. But if they want to be consistent, maybe it's calling them to a higher place as well. And maybe it's calling me and you to a higher sexual ethic. And that's the last thing I want us to kind of talk about for a little bit here is just, um, we know the reality of of it is we live in a fallen world. I think Nerva, you just listened to a message to an interview with a, with a young lady that talked about this kind of underworld of sexual exploitation mm. of females and um, on a Sean McDowell. Yeah, podcast. her name was Lisa Michelle, and she has this ministry right now to young ladies in the sex industry who are are tied up in a lifestyle they may want to um, are thinking about getting out of. They don't have the courage or the strength, but it's called No Strings Attached. We'll put that but on she, the yeah. yeah, yeah but okay. she um, her testimony is really powerful. She just grew up in a lot of abuse. And it just started the spiral of just um, sexual abuse, choosing bad relationships, one thing after another, abusing drugs, a life of depression and anxiety. But she was invited to church one week and she decided to go. And that just started a path of healing. So um, so now she spends her life just helping women in that same predicament. But it just speaks to what it opened my eyes to is how prevalent and how common these situations are and she, you know her dad was I think the first to abuse her and um, nowadays um, it can happen in family situations it can happen in your church it can happen anywhere and people are meeting their predators mm. sexual predators I mean at concerts obviously in yeah. other all kinds of places but if you're caught in a in a situation that has definitely violated you and, and abused you, know that there is help. Yeah. There's a fountain of healing available. And you know what else too? Um, there's tons of testimonies out there of people who've overcome stuff. I don't know if you guys have heard Joyce Meyer ministry. Joyce Myers, she has a ministry, but um, I used to travel with her. Right? I used I used to travel with Joyce Myers, but her testimony of abuse mm. is oh my gosh, probably there's tons out there, but hers is one of the most powerful. She said that her dad raped her at least 200 times. And she lost so much faith and trust in the world. When she got old enough to leave home, she finally left. But it was just a cycle of just one bad relationship after another. But anyway, um, she received so much healing and help that she was instrumental in helping her dad find the Lord. Wow. And getting him baptized. And uh, and um, so, yeah, there is help. There's redemption. It's a long, I would imagine, 
I've been blessed to not have um, that experience, but I can imagine that road to recovery is a long, hard one, mm. but one worth pursuing because um, when when things like this happen, I think like the enemy tries to enter in and interpret that situation and say, you have no worth, you have no value, mm. you have no dignity anymore. And that's just not the truth. Yeah. The truth is you belong to God and you were created for a purpose and he loves you and there is a path, there's a fountain. You, It's sort of like finding a person you can trust, find your voice and people have gone through the same thing and are walking towards the path of healing. Yeah, that's good, babe. Mm. And like she said, if you're struggling, you know, with any of that stuff, man, please uh, click on that website. I think they have some good resources there, but find help, do what it takes to find someone to help you. And, um, so, so yeah, we, well, what we've wanted to do here is lay out a, a biblical framework because we think that is the way reality is that God exists. He is the source and locus of all goodness, love, mercy, kindness, gentleness. Um, he is the source of moral goodness, and he created us in his image to reflect him into the earth, to stand as his ambassadors. Um, he created us male and female. He created us so that we have two paths for holy sexuality, chastity and singleness, and faithfulness in marriage. And if you're struggling with any of those issues today, because we live in a fallen cult, we live in a fallen world. And because, like we said, with this culture has been so highly oh sexualized that all of us in some area are, can be falling short of either one of these. And so what, what we're saying is today, there's not just the moral law, but thankfully there's also grace. And if you're falling short in these areas, you can turn to God and anybody can repent, man. Anybody can walk away and, and, you turn to him and you ask him to take you on a path to sexual wholeness. And I know pornography is prevalent. We're going to put up a, we'll put up a website here too. If you need help in that area, I want to link you, um, give you a link that you can get some help in. But, um, like nervous said, man, just because even people have a biblical worldview on the abstract level, doesn't mean they're living in, in, sexual victory and that's why we see that even happen in churches where where people are get exploited there as well because they haven't learned how to um to develop their character in christ likeness and so it's it's a having an understanding of that biblical worldview but it's b becoming a real disciple of jesus and learning to be like him and learning to bring all your desires under his lordship and um, learning to how to deny certain desires and cultivate other desires. And so part of it, again, we talk about the recipe that creates, um, creates this kind of thing. And we, we have it in our culture where it just it creates more and more sexual unhealthiness. But there's also a recipe for character. Mm. There's a recipe for walking in sexual victory, wholeness, and a, a renewed mind. But it's going to require effort under grace. And so you're going to have to learn a new approach to life. You're going to have to sometimes withdraw yourself from these highly sexualized things. I know for me, there's a lot of movies and stuff. If it's, if it's like, if it's any kind of sensual nudity for me, it's off limits right away. I just, I can't, I won't, I won't do it because I know what it can trigger, what it can elicit in my own heart. And so you, you learn your own triggers 
you get around people accountability, you get, you know, covenant eyes on your computer, whatever it takes, but you got to make it your aim to walk in sexual victory. You got to make it your aim to connect with God and receive his supernatural grace. You got to make it your aim to renew your mind toward, um, whatever you're struggling with in the sexual area. You know, I have to think about other women that aren't my wife as a sister. I have to think about them not as sexual objects. I have to watch what I listen to and, uh, on, on music and what I watch on social media. So this is, you know, as we're talking about R. Kelly, let's do some self-examination as well and say, man, am I walking in sexual and in, in holy sexuality? And if not, am I doing whatever it takes? Because honestly, man, a lot of these people that struggle, even R. Kelly in this situation, he was abused right. as a kid and he hasn't, apparently hasn't, you know, again, we can't imagine how tough that is. He hasn't been able to turn that cycle and now he's perpetuating it. Hmm. Um, and we're all being born into this fallen world, have the opportunity to continue to give into the evil that's surrounding us and that's even within, or we can use our will to reach out to receive God and his, you know, he's reaching out to all of us all the time. We have the opportunity to say yes to that. And God, you show me how to walk in this purity. And I think through that path of, of discipleship, we can begin to make headway as individuals and as a culture toward walking in more holy sexuality. Yeah, it's just that the, the real freedom costs a lot. Mm. And there's this this fruit of the spirit called self-control. Yeah. Which is not taught a lot. And, you know, it's like you you have to practice it. You have to bounce your eyes. And, you know, women, you know, men are driven by sight, but I think a lot of women are too. And so there are times when we have to practice self-control and not just always desire to be the uh, center of attention in the room and just remember that we are first and foremost loved by God. But it's going to cost us um, studying virtues, studying what's right, how we were made, and that our bodies belong to God. They're mm. sacred temples. We house the Holy Spirit, and we were created to do noble things that he in advance prepared us to do, that we are not just out here to have, seek all the pleasure. There's there's a time for pleasure. <laughs> But there's a time for learning and training and righteousness. And God doesn't say no because he doesn't want us to have any fun. But he he says, wait till the right time. And um, there's that. So, yeah, just just. And if you're you know, I remember isn't Thessalonians first Thessalonians. He said, now that you you've done right, you know what to do. Continue on. Yeah. We have to keep on keeping on yeah. in, in, in walking in victory. Mm-hmm. If you're in victory, just keep guarding. Um, Seth and I practice a narrow gate kind of marriage. You know, we don't we don't always um, just let anything in in our home and in our lives and our eye gate. And we, we, we practice that. We, yeah. we, we make it a practice because we see so many marriages falling apart. And so just remember the cost of freedom is high. The high cost of following Christ is is yeah. a price that's worth paying and worth following. I want to real quick read uh, James 1, 14. It says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and mm-hmm. enticed by his own desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Mm-hmm. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And, you know, the one part I think that turns there is, each person is tempted. It's clear about that, that there's no one exempt from that. Yeah. But when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires, and, and it's so easy, you can just go on YouTube and it's going to throw videos at you all day. Yeah, man. You know, some of the highest views 
viewed videos on YouTube are those music videos. And those yeah. are some of the most sexually illicit sometimes content that is unrated, unrelegated, you right. know, on um, anything. You know, yeah. it's just there. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you can go on a YouTube trending and see as much as you want. And so, and it's it's a drawing. And so try not to be drawn away. Mm. And, uh, you know, as even you said, like there's the path of chastity and singleness, a path of faithfulness and marriage. There's a lot of different paths you can go down. Yeah. You know, and sometimes we think we can do a couple steps down a path and come back and that that's okay. And we don't realize that those paths, it's a slope, you know, it's not a straight path, but it's yeah. a slope that you can fall down very quickly and, um, and you have to just be on guard. That's good, man. That, you know, that reminds me, there's a part in the documentary where one of the workers for R. Kelly tells, he said, R, R, uh, Robert came to him, R. Kelly came to him and said, he was crying saying, man, I can't stop videotaping myself with these girls and I can't stop mm. doing this. Like, and he was like worried. He said, this is going to come back and get me in it. And you know, it's, I think it was such a picture of what you just read out of James in real, mm. like living color. Like this is a picture of what we all could be right? if we don't, if we don't create different conditions. And uh, Dallas Willard once said, you know, people want to, they want to wring their hands against war and they want to wring their hands against um, you know, adultery or these, or even this R. Kelly thing, but they don't want to do anything about the steps that inevitably lead to those things. Right. right. And for all of us, that, that is the reminder day steps for a culture. You know, right. we, that's what, that's why, you know, it's not just, it's, in, it's individual with the gospel, but it's also, we, we work toward helping our culture because we understand that this culture has steps that lead to where it's at now. Right. But we also understand as individuals, what steps you virtue, like Nerva mentioned has died. Like we don't understand virtue anymore, but we got to take steps because of what's called neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. the, whenever you do something, it creates a pathway in your brain and then it gets more after a while it becomes a habit. And at that point it almost becomes like where you can't, you know, that's where addiction, right. you can't work against it um, without extreme, extreme effort. Right. And so, you know, we want to create good pathways right. in our brain by what we think on. Um, and then the more we do that, we'll, be the, we'll become the kind of people who naturally and easily do the right thing yeah. rather than always a struggle because I'm, you know, I'm hypersexualized. So now it's like everything I think of objectifies right. women. I can't. Yeah, you got, you got something. Yeah, I like to tell my young mentees that, you know, put down the phone, memorize a whole chapter of scripture. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. Pastor Rice, um, uh, Bethel Church in Nashville, Tennessee, he's the um, the inspiration behind the God is not dead movies. He used to say in the pulpit all the time, you know, the only thing that replaces thoughts are other thoughts, bad mm -hmm. thoughts are other thoughts. Yeah, right. So you might as well think on the thoughts of God. Just memorize a whole psalm or pick up the word. Sit, sit and read an entire gospel in one sitting. Mm -hmm. It's so good for the soul. Yeah. If you're battling yeah. these things, you know, it's, it's, it's warfare. It's so hard to break a bad habit. But yeah. do your part. Do what you can as you seek help. Just really, really start digging in the word of God in prayer. And there's a, it's a funny saying, but don't think of a pink elephant. And <laughs> right. immediately, immediately it pops in your right. mind. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, whatever you're struggling with, regardless of it, to just try to not think about something yeah, is man. a failed effort. Yeah. You can't really just hard. stop thinking about it. So exactly replace those thoughts yep. and go back to scripture, you know, Mark, the gospel of Mark in the Bible, it's the shortest gospel. And mm -hmm. it reads like an action movie, you know, just start, start with Mark 16 chapters and go for it. And again, give your mind other things to think on. Yeah. You have to, you have to replace it. You can't yeah. just remove, you know, it's, you know, I've heard people talk about, 
you know, alcoholism or substance abuse. And, you know, if you spend eight hours a day drinking mm-hmm. and you want to stop cold turkey, you have eight hours of a day that you got to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if man. you spend those eight hours just sitting on a sofa doing nothing, you're going oh, to go man. back to what you know. For sure. And so you have to replace the time you spent, the time you have spent in pornography, the time you have spent yeah, fantasizing, man. the time you have spent in any of these things, you have to replace that time with something. Yeah. And it's going, that's where the effort comes in because you're not going to want to naturally read the Bible or naturally do this or that, but you have to find something and, and do yeah. maybe something active. Maybe it's going for a walk. Maybe yeah. it's finding people to just sure. good people to hang out with yeah, that are good man. influences, Yeah, man. but do something to replace your time with. Yeah. So good. It's good. Well, sounds like we might have, need to spend more time on this at another point because <laughs> yeah. there's so much good stuff. But um, yeah, like, like we said, if you, if you're struggling in any of these areas, which we know many of us or all of us are to some degree, um, we'll have these links down there. Hopefully, You'll find something in it that will help you, and uh, and if you need anything from us, if we can all help you, just uh, shoot us shoot us a message or hit us up on yeah. social media or Facebook or uh, website, whatever, and we'll do what we can to point you in the right direction. Come on, come on.